If you're not offending people, you're not saying anything original. Okay, if no one's been offended by you this week, you're not saying anything new, anything fresh. This is the Ideas Lab podcast, where you can learn from great creative and entrepreneurial minds how to turn your ideas into original businesses, books and brands. Because in a crowded world, it pays to stand out. This is your host, John Williams, best-selling author and founder of the Ideas Lab London. Have we lost touch with our bodies? Are we treating our bodies like some kind of brain taxi that's just carrying around the contents of our head? And what is the impact of that? That's a question that has obsessed Mark Walsh for going on 20 years. Mark is the creator of the Embodied Facilitator course, which helps coaches, therapists, body workers, and other practitioners to bring the body into their work and into their own lives as well. Mark is the creator of the Embodiment Conference happening later this year, and he already has 130,000 people registered and £400,000 crowdfunded to support the event. Just as interesting for me, though, is the way Mark presents himself online. He's very authentic, not afraid to be controversial, and this has actually allowed him to create a very large following, although at the same time he has to deal with quite a lot of backlash from what he describes as the politically correct or woke community. So we get into that towards the end of the podcast. It's a fascinating discussion. Hello, Mark Walsh. Thank you very much for joining us on the Ideas Lab podcast. Hey, John. Nice to talk to you again. Yeah. Well, we first met more than a decade ago or something when you spoke at Scanners Night. I can't remember how I first heard about you back but, when i was skinny and you weren't so gray and the world was a different place john oh my yeah it's been a while I've, i love your stuff on purpose and you know i do a bit of work in that area so i was looking you up again recently i was reviewing your book and then i picked up the phone and said hey we should chat and i share, see you sharing good stuff on social media so it's nice to be back in touch yeah yeah no it's great and uh, i i'm really interested both in what you do with your business which is the name of the business is, is it Embodied Facilitator? Is that the actual name of the business? Or is that the course? I own three businesses. They're all around this word embodiment. So you'll hear the Embodied Facilitator course, which is where I train coaches, the Embodiment Conference, the Embodiment Podcast, the Embodiment Book, the Embodiment Sandwich. It's it's everything. So all around that topic. So normally when I get interviewed, people say, what the hell is that? As the first question. I think we've got to ask that really, haven't we? What is embodiment? We've got to, haven't we? So it's the overall field for different body-mind arts. People have probably heard of mindfulness and yoga and maybe conscious dance. So it's the overall uh, field that brings all those together. And it relates to the body, but the body is part of who we are and how we are rather than the sort of medical objective body. So there's many, many, I, I could talk for hours just on that topic, but that at least hopefully gives enough for people to go, okay, we kind of get what this guy's into. And it's really interesting to me because when I was uh, up until about the age of my late 20s, I had basically no body. I was one of those. I was a software developer and I paid my body no attention whatsoever. I was completely disconnected from it for reasons of of kind of traumatic experiences in hospitals when I was very young. So I disconnected from my body. And I think there are probably a lot of soft people in software who are like that. But I think a lot of us generally, and I was listening to an interview with you yesterday, and the re the, they, there are some interesting reasons why people get disconnected. One of them is traumatic yeah. experiences, but also yeah. you made the argument that we are 
the world is getting worse as far as embodiment is concerned. We're getting more <laughs> disconnected. Is that true? Yeah, I mean, you could look at it different ways. So think of it just in terms of the physical environments we're in for starts. We're sat down. We're not really moving. We're staring at a screen. We're doing hypercognitive tasks. You know, when I used to do farm work as a kid growing up in East Anglia, you would feel your body because it'd be rain and sun on your face. Your muscles would be aching. You'd have to be in touch with your body, you know. It'd be dangerous not to. Um, and I feel more and more of us are in this information processing, uh, low, low kind of physical stimulation environment. We could add a kind of political take on this, that maybe there's certain powers that don't want us to be in touch with ourselves and what we really want. And, you know, you can add that frame to it um yeah there's a few obviously there's trauma for some people that are cut off from their bodies and we're just not educated that way john it's just not something that um we're taught in schools you know we're taught to sit down sharp not move not feel and, and remember information so i that didn't work out very well for me you know many people they end up getting ill or in my case getting addicted uh, having relationship problems, you know, having various issues. And at a certain point, you go, well, hang on a minute. What's this thing? Is it more than a brain taxi? And that's when someone <laughs> starts going to yoga or, you know, morning glory in London or whatever and starts moving and go, wow, there's a whole world here. And they quickly realize that um, they will feel more alive. They can develop better self-regulation skills, which right now are so useful. The ability to calm yourself or to move into a creative mode as an entrepreneur, that's something I can do fairly easily to stay focused, to have better relationships, whatever that is, intimate or work relationships. And I feel like these skills come to the fore, particularly in the kind of modern work environment where um it's not enough just to be on a factory line the kind of work most people we know are interested in requires these skills i think that's that's really true and as we we said when we had that chat in the park on the phone um if you're stuck on finding your life purpose and you're, you're doing a course around this at the moment and trying to find out um what it is you want to do if you're not connected to your body you can't do that because you're not connected to your feelings right. so there is a there's a very early phase in that journey of doing what you love, which is, I don't even know what I love, even when I'm doing it uh, or when I'm not doing it. You know, I don't have enough connection. I think that's really important. I'd, I'd yeah, love to know. Yeah, up, sorry. Doesn't it? If I may, John, to sort of what we love and what we care about. And I, I think there's an early stage now where people have no idea, but then keeping tuned into that radar, you get the early warning signals of, hey, this client's a bit off or, you know what, this doesn't quite light me up. And I also think there's a few versions of it. And there's what gives us energy, right? Like, what do we jump out of bed for? What excites us? But there's also something that's like the sort of quiet, felt sense of rightness of just, you know, I feel like that's more like marriage than an affair. You know, this sense of just like being at ease, being at home. And that that takes a little bit of tuning into. And I think many, many of the time we can be subtly off that without noticing. So there is a sort of higher level than just, hey, I enjoy this and don't enjoy that. Um, and I, I see that as a continuous process. And even if I'm sort of 99 percent on purpose, stopping it going this way instead of this way when it's that one percent off can save a lot of time and trouble. And, and what's interesting is that whatever you're doing seems to be working because you, you seem to have this massive following around you. 
you, you'd like a T-shirt I just bought the other day, which is, just says cult leader in big words on the front. <laughs> you should, I'll send you it. It might fit you. It's too big for me, My actually. people are very anti-cult and very anti-guru, so <laughs> that would have to be clearly ironically. Because I know, they well, absolutely, yeah, um, yeah, but yeah, I think it's funny. There's a tribe building of embodiment people, and, you know, it's really fashionable to talk about movements and tribes, and Seth Godin wrote that good book on it, and, you know, everyone is trying to start a movement and a tribe now, and sometimes quite cynically, um, for me, it's simply like, okay, I really love what I do. And I've always followed that passion for what I do. I found a way to make a living from it, which was not immediately obvious at first. I had to learn the business skills, you know, as you teach people. Um, and then gradually just started giving it away enthusiastically and connecting with people that are into it. And pretty soon you become a leader in the field doing that. But I actually think if you try and be like, right, now I will be a leader and build my tribe, I, I think it doesn't work because it's it's it has to be authentic and people really feel that, particularly if they're embodiment people. So, yeah, now we're in a pretty good situation in terms of um, <clears throat> things like the conference and the embodied facilitator course with this whole communities around it of people who are into it. You know, I was just in Belgrade and I, I can turn up in any city in the world and there'll be a, a few people who want to meet for coffee or lunch or drinks or whatever. And they're normally pretty cool people. So that that's nice. Yeah. And the embodied facilitator course this is the core of what you do. How many people have taken that now? Probably a couple of hundred, though we're moving. We did our first sort of online mini version of it this year called FEC, slow comedy name, the Foundations of Embodiment Certification. And that immediately had 200 people signed up. So we sort of doubled the amount of people we trained just by moving online because of the scalability. I mean, EFC is very in-depth. It's face-to-face, multiple modules. We do one lot in Russia, one lot in London. Uh, it's full-on course. It's really just for coaches who really want to get into this stuff, who want to learn to work with the body in a very skillful way. And then we found there was another group of people who had more like passing interests. So we're doing this 13-week online course. And obviously the beauty for that as an entrepreneur is it's scalable. You know, in one year, we train more people than eight years of EFC face-to-face. It's like, oh, why don't we do this sooner? You know, <laughs> embodiment's a bit behind the whole online thing and i've been leading the way and we have a a podcast and a youtube channel that are done pretty well and then i've realized actually you can do a surprising amount online you know when i first did the embodiment conference in 2018 online uh, we brought together like 100 different speakers and and people people laughed at me they said you can't do a conference an embodiment conference online ha 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 they would say on the adverts you know the facebook ads and we said well let's try you know it doesn't really cost anything and it's, it's you know it's I just had to borrow a little bit of money to put it on. So it wasn't a huge thing. And uh, it worked really well. And people went really deep. And I, I love the model of it's free for everyone, but we sell the recordings. Because it, it ended up being a pretty good business model in that a lot of, I want people to have access to this stuff because I think it's a good thing. And simultaneously, it's a good business. Um, and then we've just massively scaled it up for, for this year. So, yeah. So tell us about what's happening this year. The, the, Embodiment conference is October, and how many people have you got registered so far? Yeah, there's about 135,000 registered, which is some kind of a world record, we think, uh, though we will get at least half a million. That's a conservative estimate. And if I'm, if we manage to get some the software to translate it into Chinese and Hindi and Russian and Portuguese and Arabic, then we'll be looking at a million easy. Um, so it's got a certain scale. It's also got 1,000 presenters so that's just unheard of in these kind of summits or events. Um, it's really crazy as a model. We just thought, fuck it, like what, like as your, your book says, screw it. You know, for me, it was like what's possible 
and I wasn't interested in repeating the same thing we did last year. Um, and obviously, it's a pretty big operation, so it's involved, you know, borrowing money, crowdfunding, sponsorships. We're most of the way. We need half a million pounds to fund it, and we're. I notice my voice pauses still a little bit as I say that. You know, that's not the amount of money I grew up around. You know, and um, yeah, we're like four hundred thousand or something raised now, so we're, we're most really? of the way there. So yeah, people, yeah, <clears throat> and when they uh, when uh, so you're. Um, and we'll we'll give a link at the end for to go and get involved with this. But when people are paying in advance for the crowdfunding, because you can come for free, what are they getting when they pay for the crowdfunding? Well, everyone comes for free, and people buy the recordings. So the recordings, however, are part of a system on a computer that makes things easy to access. So the problem now is not that people can't get information about embodiment or any other topic. The problem is that there's they're lost and confused with the amount that's out there. So we've designed this really cool portal, this computer system, which makes it easy to find exactly what you love and systematizes it. And you can be like, right, I want this kind of area and it needs to be athletic or non-athletic and emotionally triggering or not emotionally triggering. And that way, the system's pretty clever. And I think that's what people are really after. And um, plus, you know, I've got loads of content now. So we, we gave them packages and different um, bonuses and gifts. And we made it really fun. You know, my audience like fun. So we've got like different tiers. We've got the dolphin riders and the unicorn slayers and the ninjas. And um, people like these kind of fun tiers. And we, with the prizes, are sort of giveaway extras. Some of them are like serious online learning courses. But other them are, you know, other them are just fun stuff as well. And it's, I think it's it's not so much about just what you're giving away, but the trust in the community. We've done a lot of free events, one day events, events on trauma, events for this and that. People trust us. They know us. Um, they want to support us. You know, we have a lot of donations of like $19 and there's very little bonuses with that. They're just people that want to help us out. And, you know, people have lent us um, tens of thousands of pounds interest free as well. You know, like one of my old Aikido mates just emails me. He's like, yeah, you don't know this, but I'm a tech millionaire. Do you want to borrow 40 grand? And I was like, I won't say his name, but I was like, dude, I had no idea. He's Because he's just a guy in Aikido to me, you know. And he's just like, yeah, listen, don't worry about it. I kind of want it back, but don't worry if you lose it. You know, 40 grand for me is like 40 quid for you. And I, and I, was, just, I was just like, shit. But then if you've got 100,000 people on your list, right, what is the chances that some of them are benign millionaires? You've got a few benign millionaires on your list if you know 100,000 people, just statistically. Right? And we want it, like one of my friends is like, yeah, my grand just died and she left me this shitload of money. Just promise me you'll give it back and I'll, I'll lend you 10 grand. I'm like, OK. <laughs> yeah. So it's but you get there by doing what you've done, because how long you've been doing this kind of stuff? Is it a decade now or something? 20 years, 20 13 years, years full time professionally. Yeah. And for example, our YouTube channel is 10 years old, right? It's got millions of hits. People have been listening to the podcast twice a week. You know, some guy, I'll give you an example of what this is about. I was in Australia with my wife. We're traveling around and we've kind of run out of money. We're traveling around and my wife's overspending. Oh, shit. Okay, we better sort of cut back. And we still got a two parts of this world trip to go. It's a sort of honeymoon world trip. And some guy picks us up from the airport, saves us the taxi fare. And he's like, I listen to your podcast every day on the way that he's a teacher. He's like, I listen to it for one hour every day on the way to and from school. He's like, of course, I'm going to pick you up from the airport. And in New Zealand, like three different people that listen to my content over the years, let us stay in their house for free. They're like, you have my condo. I'm going to my girlfriend's place. Here's the key. I'll see you in three days. And these are people we've never met. 
So like that kind of trust just comes because they're listening to the content, they're enjoying it. Like I've helped their business, I've helped their marriage, I've helped their whatever. So they they just want to give something back. So, you know, it's hard for me to buy lunch for myself in most European cities now, just because I'm always having someone interesting who's like, no, 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 I'll pay kind of thing. And then as long as you're mostly giving, when occasionally I say, you know what, we need to borrow some money or can you help us advertise this? People are pretty generous in giving back. And as I said, we have a cool community. There are people who are geeks for this particular thing. There's the hardcore who we see like on all the sessions and I recognize them on Zoom. You know, I was teaching a group this morning for 100 people and I was like, oh, there's Krista, oh, there's John, you know. And um, and then there's the people who are sort of mildly into it. And then there's the people who maybe sign up and they never come, but it's, it's fine. You know, it's all, all good. So we feel that. So. It's amazing. I think, you know, often when we start a business, we're tempted to look for the short gain, the shortcut that's going to get us there. And, yeah. I, and I'm <clears throat> increasingly realizing that like, the long game is the shortcut. You basically, you just start being generous at the beginning. You just help people. You just be a good guy, good gal. And, you, and, and that actually pays off probably a lot quicker than you spending five years iterating through marketing e- email funnels, <laughs> trying to you know, spam people in exactly the right way. It's such bullshit. It's such bullshit. It doesn't feel good, and I don't think it works very well, particularly not long term. As I said, you know, this, the secrets there are creativity, loving what you do, right? If you're creative and you love what you do, you can't help but make content. I shit content before breakfast because it's just what I'm thinking about on the toilet. Like in the morning, you know, like 8 a.m. I'm sitting on the to- toilet going, oh, I could say that. That's kind of interesting, you know. Uh, so it's, it's, I don't have to like sit down and be like, now I will make you useful content for my people. It's just what I love and I'm a creative person. And as long as you, those two things are present, you can, you'll make something useful. And then, yeah, sure, get a bit strategic about it. Look at your funnels. Check that you've got stuff that's free and stuff that's cheap and stuff that's medium-priced. I mean, it's not wrong to look at it for a business lens. It, it just shouldn't be the primary lens. You know, like I was, I was talking to a female friend of mine the other day. She was talking about being on a date and this guy objectified her, right? And she said, listen, I don't mind if a man loves my tits, but I don't want him to love me for my tits. And I think it's the same with a customer. No one wants to be used or objectified or seen in that dehumanizing way, but nobody minds buying from people they trust, right? So like, I don't think that analogy is too crude, but I thought it was really nicely said. You know, she was just like, hey, I don't, this is part of life, sexuality. And, you know, I don't mind people appreciate me this way. It's the same with money. It's just part of life. And, but if we're primarily orientating around people as objects to get something from, it feels creepy. And that's what most business is based on. It's fucked up. Like, like no one wants to be treated that way. This disembodied, objectified way. And I think there's an alternative if you're just generous and creative and then apply a little bit of cognitive, you know, sense to that at a certain point. I think you're right. And I think, you know, the worst example of that is those kind of LinkedIn automated messages say, hey, let's connect. And (laughs) people send me automated messages go, hey, have you ever dreamed of publishing a book? And it's got, oh, please, at least look at my profile. And, and And the reason why it's so insulting is because you are treating, you are objectifying me. I have a particular button about that for doctors doing that when I was younger. But I think everybody mm. knows when they're being objectified rather than having a genuine offer for help. 
there's no relationship there and you know embodiment's the opposite of objectification and people understand what that is in say the sexual domain it's become famous and it's obvious but i don't think we've taken that into a work domain we still talk about human resources you know we still sell as if we were just trying to manipulate people and i i think there's a better way out there um yeah for me the, it's been quite effective over the years I, I think the other piece there is you do have to know your tribe and who your tribe isn't and i think it is and this is very un-british but polarization is good and not trying to be all things to all people um well, and actually yeah. being provocative at times or being um divisive even you know i, th- I feel that like that's good people need to know they're not your customer as well I think that's really interesting. And then I wanted to talk to you about this because you do get, you do say some stuff. I follow you on Facebook primarily. And you do say stuff on Facebook and you've said stuff even here, but some people might find uh, difficult, but <laughs> you. <laughs> that's fine. Listen, like I used an analogy from a friend of mine the other day about her tits, right? Someone's going to listen to that and they're going to go, oh my God, Mark's a sexist. No, I'm not. Someone's going to listen to that and go, oh my God, this guy's crude, whatever. That's fine. They're not my customer. My customer's going to listen to that and laugh and smile and say, great. And I want those people as my customers. I want those people in my tribe. I want the people who have a sense of humor, who are robust, who are not easily offended. Life's too short to be around people, for me, who don't have at least those aligned values. Yeah, right? I agree. Like, I don't want people coming to my training and being offended all the time. It, it, <laughs> keep away for their sake and mine. Keep away. But what I'm learning is that people like you who are very, very much, it would seem yourself and not too concerned whether people like you, um, actually seem to have this magnetic effect on people, at least the right, you know, your particular tribe. And it's when we try and hedge our bets and be all things to all people and not offend anyone, that's when we seem to really get into trouble. Is that why you've... I mean, maybe you haven't really thought it through as, as much as well, that. But. Well, for me, it's, I mean, I have the, bo- in psychological terms, there's a trait called agreeableness, and I'm the bottom 1% of that trait. Oh, statistic. wow, really? Doesn't that mean you're okay, a so psychopath? This, <laughs> no, it doesn't. It, actually, the opposite means I'm committed to truth rather than pleasing people. So it doesn't, it isn't related to empathy. Um, I, I am think trying to also, lower my agreeableness score because it's, it's been too high. Yeah, if, and if you want some exercises for that, I could give you some because I've helped a lot of people with this. So, for example, like not saying thank you when you buy something. Yeah, not saying please, not apologizing when you don't mean it. You, I could give you a bunch of exercises around this and a bunch of stuff in the body, like, you know, smiling or tilting your head like Princess Diana. There's a whole somatic side to it. And it's an absolute fucking nightmare because it's conflict avoidance. What do you sacrifice for social harmony is the key question, right? And it's like, if you're not committed to truth, why should people fucking trust you to tell the truth? Yeah. If you're committed to social expediency, like that's what most particularly British people are committed to is social expediency. And when you're in Russia or somewhere and you're just talking to someone who doesn't give a shit, it's shocking and it's uncomfortable. But simultaneously, it's like, wow, I can actually trust this guy to speak the truth because he just told me something that wasn't in the interest of the harmony of this relationship. And yeah. I, I think for an entrepreneur, that is absolutely vital. And if you try not to get that, it's also it just won't work because people go, well, who are you? What are you? Why should I trust you? Why should I be invested in you? You know, it's like I want the right people to be attracted and the wrong people to be scared of as soon as possible for everyone's benefit. It's actually an act of kindness to do it. 
Yeah, it's interesting, actually. It makes me think of Mark Manson's book about dating. Little-known book he wrote really early on before he sold a million copies of A Subtle Art and Not Giving a Fuck. He was a dating coach. Yeah. And he wrote a book called... Oh, I yeah. can't what it's called. Models. Attract, it's called that's models. the one, yeah. And it's basically, you got to... You, you, you're, you're, what you should be doing is getting people to kind of opt in or opt out as fast as possible by yeah, being very... Not the only thing that's, that's helpful, but it's definitely, it's definitely useful. It's definitely yeah. useful. I mean, like, romantically, the worst place you can be is just someone going blah. And I think same for customers too, right? I mean, because I, I quite like it when someone hates me and tells all their friends because one out of 10 of their friends is going to love it. So that's way yeah. better than being blah. So, it, it, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? Because whenever somebody does something absolutely terrible, like, you know, Trump is the, the classic for that, for doing things which deliberately he knows are going he to annoy. my marketing strategy, John. He stole my marketing strategy, Trump. When he, <laughs> as he was doing his campaign, I'm not a supporter, just to be clear, but... All my liberal friends were like showing, oh, he's awful and sharing his stuff. I was like, don't do that. Yeah. Don't do that. You're playing into his game. Trust me. This isn't a good idea. People talk about it. He gets attention. And then other people. Yeah. And people also, there's a, there is a pushback against kind of political correctness where people are pissed off with it. And I think that goes across the left and the right, actually. People are getting pissed off with it. And he really fed into that for sure. But um, so this this strategy can be used, you know, by either side of the spectrum for good or for ill. But um, for me, it's also, it's not like I sit there in the morning plotting to be controversial. It just suits me, you know, like you, you have to have a strategy which suits your actual authentic personality. I think that's key. And it's yeah. not for everyone to try this, this, this road. Yeah. And if you're a nice person through and through, be an authentic, nice person. But if you're, so um, you, you, you mentioned on Facebook, you were getting a lot of crap at the moment i don't know if it was about was that about something in particular and it was oh it comes in waves and it's sort of just where we're at in the world right now and it, it comes and goes like at the beginning of covid it kind of dropped away because everybody was worried about real shit you know existential shit and well, it, well you know Ravel ravikant i think it was him he he posted a tweet that said um the virus broke woke because for right, a did it period first, of but now it's resurfaced <laughs> it's, it's really making a power play right now um yeah yeah so the kind of woke thing is primarily about social you know social appearance virtual signaling using language as a form of power over people uh it goes against everything i stand for and am and those people i've got a target on my back right now because those the basically the far left is now saying that anyone who doesn't agree precisely with everything they say is some kind of neo-nazi and as a sort of centrist, center-left guy, I'm just like, most people in my position are keeping their heads down because they feel like it's dangerous to do anything else. And it is dangerous. But I've got fuck you money, and I've got fuck you lawyers, and I've got fuck you attitude. So I just go, okay, bring it on. Like, what are you going to do? You're going to try and publicly shame me? Really? Like, with my personality? Okay. You know, it's it's not a requirement that I look like a nice guy. You know, I can respond in ways that people whose brand is reliant upon them looking nice cannot. Uh, and I also just think it's like my people trust me more when they see that I don't um, pander to it. And they go, wow, this guy's actually someone that stands up to this bullshit. And we know it's bullshit, John. Like, no one thinks it makes you a good person to learn the latest thing coming out of Berkeley. Yeah, I thought it was very funny when uh, we were on that phone call. I said, well, you know, I'm centre-left. And you said, so a Nazi then, by modern standards. <laughs> and it's like, that's what's happening to people like you and me. <laughs> yeah, it's like, if you're not, if you don't subscribe to everything, you're a Nazi. And what's interesting is that, it, you know, you really are committed to 
diversity and inclusion. I mean, if you look at the conference, Massive. you know, and you've got Massive. things like there's an arm which is which you're running on Australia and New Zealand time because you said normally these people get completely left out because there's a 12 hour time shift and they just have to kind of make do with with you know, not attending live. And so you've arranged and you you know you are representing women and people of color and like every kind of possible uh, and we're gay as fuck. I mean, this this just you know we're bright and through and through, but it's the normal view of diversity isn't very diverse. It doesn't like diversity of opinion for starters. So it's like it's absolutely unwilling to take into account conservative voices, and nobody's smart enough to be totally wrong. Like the woke people are trying to at heart, if they're sincere, and many are not. Many are cynical. They're hyenas, not lions. But where they're sincere, they are trying to do something good, which is to make a fairer world, right? But their view of that is actually kind of childish and simplified. Like, and most Americans are blind. It basically comes from North America, and they're blind to what they don't know. Like, for example, most American conferences will say, "Well, we're very representative, and we have a lot of diversity because we've got different coloured Americans speaking." And I'm like, well, what about Hungarians? What about Russians? What about Africans? What about Japanese people? And what about the people that don't speak English? That's something we're working on. And there's neurodiversity and there's you know many kinds of diversity that aren't obvious that you can't see. And who weights those kind of diversities? Right. Who says which is more important? Like, for example, class in the UK is massive. I've never heard an American talk about diversity of class. And how are we going to measure that? Yeah. So I go, you know, also, a lot of what I see is more of a cynical power play than a genuine desire to help people. And for me, I want to make embodiment available to the world. So we keep reorientating to that. You know, we keep reorientating to that rather than the hoops we're supposed to be jumping through at any given time, which seem to change fairly rapidly and be dictated by very undiverse views from the United States. Fuck that. So we keep pursuing our own vision of putting what we love out there. One of the things that disturbs me most about that, that very extreme end of that movement is that it's mostly populated by uh, very posh white people, as far as I can see. Not all white. Some of them are, for example, Indian heritage in the UK. They're now members of the Conservative Party. But they're posh as fuck. There was a girl who grew up in a castle, literally a French castle, lecturing me on diversity because she happens to have a black parent. And I was like, now she's, I'm sure, gone through some stuff I haven't gone through, right? And I'm happy to be sympathetic to that. I'm happy to listen to that. I'm happy to try and understand some way things I might be blind to. I'm a, I think I'm a fan of that. It's like, you know, that's called empathy. That's called human decency. We don't need complex terminology for that. But the fact that she's lecturing me on privilege while growing up in a castle, really? Come on. Come on. So... I don't know, just the obsession with it as well. It's what constitutes virtue is what's key here. And I want to know what you're doing, not just that you've learned some words. You know, you've read some books and learned some words. Tell me what you're doing. And I can tell you what we're doing around, you know, for example, our leadership strategy or who has voting rights within the organization or, you know, actual real things. And, um, you know, the fact that I've supported gay rights in Russia for the last five years and I could have gone to jail in Russia for that, which wouldn't have been fun. So it's, you know, it's like, show me what you've done. Oh, you pasted a Facebook meme while I was in Russia. Fuck you. So, um, yeah, I feel pretty strong about it, John. You've got me on a kind of day where I've been uh, sent hate mail and I don't want listeners to be like, oh, my God, this guy's fucking all over the place. But maybe back to embodiment now. That's more what I prefer to talk about. Yeah, no, that's good. But I think it's it's important because uh, if you do want to be a clear voice and if you want to express things without 
kind of uh, filtering them, then you're going to come up against some of these kind of issues, I think, uh, today. So it, if you're it not offending important. people, you're not saying anything original. Okay, if no one's been offended by you this week, you're not saying anything new, anything fresh. So like, it's not the only, I mean, you could just be nasty. You can just be like, fuck ginger people, right? And you know, you can offend people that way, but it's it's not the only way, it's not a, a definite measure, but if you're not doing it, if you're not, if some people aren't pushing back against what you do, how original is it really? No, that's a good question. So I hope people will take away from this. Uh, maybe I'll get cancelled for it. I don't know. And, and we'll both get cancelled. Cancel culture, John. Everyone's scared, man. You're scared. Everyone's running scared. Yeah, I, yeah. It's pathetic. We need to start running scared from these maggoty little bullies. <laughs> okay. The Maoist terrorists. That's all they are. Nasty little Maoist terrorists who don't even have any real power unless we give it to them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the good thing about working for yourself is you can't really get cancelled, actually. So, I mean, it's, it's quite difficult. They need to be nailed down. You can see what they are if you understand how these people work. But, yeah, it's way worse if you have a job, though, right, John? You know what I mean? Like, like I mean, I've been cancelled from speaking at events, but it didn't it didn't ruin my business. I've been cancelled from a couple of yoga conferences and a couple of online events and stuff like that. And I'm just like, whatever. I just recycle it into marketing and PR as well. It's just like, you know, I'm too dangerous for them to handle. It's great PR, great. No, so I think it's um, true. Yeah, and and I think is yeah, I think that is generally the, the way to go. Tricky thing is hard to be hated, right? For most people, mm. it's hard. To Even by we have this negativity bias, it's hard for. And as an entrepreneur, this is a wider issue. Maybe extending this out to a wider issue for your listeners that we have to be okay with being uncomfortable. We have to be self-driven. We have to be okay being mocked and being maybe hated, maybe mocked. You know, first they laugh at you. Uh, we have to be okay with failing again and again and again. Uh, we have to be okay with, you know, I've done products that have just fallen on their flight face and no one bought it, you know. And, like, that is is a big ask, man. Like, the I don't know how people do this without embodiment and meditation skills and centering skills. and Because I just go, how do you manage yourself? Like, I'm, I'm crazy, John. Like, people can hear, you know, I'm stressed, I'm all over the place, but I'm also smiling, I'm still joking, I'm... You know, I'm reaching out to a coach and I've got friends. I meditate this morning and I'll do yoga later. And within all that, in the current entrepreneurial, forget about the work stuff, just in the entrepreneurial environment, like how do you predict the future right now? And it's real difficult to run run a business if you can't predict with some accuracy the future. It's tough. No one knows what they're doing and we're all nuts. And my people are nuts. My customers are nuts. And my, you know, and it's like in that environment, you better have some skills. You better have some body mind skills. Cause I, I don't, I don't know people that don't. Wow. I mean, credit to them if they can do it, but you know, I'm yeah. just hanging in there by the teeth. <laughs> I agree. And part of it is knowing who to call when the shit hits the fan, because I know that if something bad happens as it occasionally does in the business, there are, there's just a dozen people I can call. I've got a men's group. I've got a therapist. I've got a, I've got team members, I've got, you know, you name it, and and I'll call the right person. You know, if I get ill, I've got an osteopath I know I'll go to. I get, you know, I've got all these different yeah. things. Um, and that's a very different place to where I was when I was much younger, and I felt very alone, and I didn't have any of those kind of resources to draw on. So I think hopefully people yeah, get, yeah, get yeah. a bit inspired by you and um, uh, to be 1% braver and 1% more honest, if nothing else. And 
Tell but also, today, mm. tell someone what you're thinking of. Just like it's uncomfortable in the short term, but long term, this is going to help your business, your relationship. You get in the habit of being brave. You get in the habit of being honest. I highly recommend all the entrepreneurs listening get some kind of body mind practice for their stress levels uh, to be more creative as well. Like dancing's fantastic for that. I always have my best ideas after I've been meditating or walking barefoot in the woods, which is something I do um, near Brighton. That support network is so important. You know, the therapist, the friend who makes you laugh, the, you know, hot person you can just have a wild time in bed with and forget about it all. The, you know, the the friend that gives you good advice, the mentor figure, you know, the person you can go to with ethical dilemmas. These are different people quite often. And having that supportive people around you, like entrepreneurs, it looks like we're superheroes doing it on our own, but I don't think that's ever the case. I don't think that's ever the case. No, I absolutely agree. So if people want to find out about everything you do what is the website they should go to mark okay so if you're running uh woke uh, complaints.com uh, you should go to no it depends what they're interested in if they're a coach they should go to embodiedfacilitator.com lots of resources there things for coaches videos and uh, free pdfs and different things people can look at if they want to look at the conference and see some of those speakers we've got some big names there uh, that's at embodiment I mean, conference. By the way, I forgot. I meant to ask. Name some of the speakers because you've got amazing people, right? Yeah, Gabe and uh, Gabel Mate and Peter Levine Sorry. are pretty well known from the trauma yeah. world. Uh, there's pretty much everyone who's famous from the trauma world, actually. Stephen Porges and all sorts of people. David Baselli. Um, from yoga, there's some famous yoga teachers. Most of the famous conscious dance teachers in the world are there. Uh, a woman called Bonnie Bainbridge-Cohen is an absolute legend for people who are really into embodiment. Uh, it's, it's interesting because different people will know different names depending on what they're into. And like the yoga people won't recognize some of the other names and they will recognize you know, Rod Stryker or Max Strom or someone, Tara Judell. So yeah, lots of cool speakers, Embodiment Conference, look that up. If you like podcasts, you could look up the Embodiment Conference. I've interviewed about 270 guests on this topic. If you're in, and less of me talking and ranting and more of interesting people talking, I think they're the main ones. Oh, the book, the book. I should yeah. plug the book, Marketing. Dude. Embodiment, it's, it's a really original name. If, if you, This is super accessible. It's designed so you can read it on the toilet. So I'm gonna a short that. little list. If you like John's book, I reckon you'll like this one because yeah. it's a similar sort of light, accessible style. Brilliant. Okay, and if you want to find out about the crowd crowdfunding, did we talk about where that was? Uh, that's going to be closed in a week, so by the time this comes out, probably probably be closed down. But uh, they, they, can, they, can, they can look up the Facebook group for the Embodiment Conference if it's not too late. And you've got a, a huge number of people in there, haven't you, in the Embodiment Conference group? Yeah, there's like 25,000, 30,000 or something now. I'm not sure. But uh, pretty good discussions on there if people like Facebook. It's, it's remarkable. You can make good space on social media if you curate them and encourage a certain culture. There's a really positive vibe there, a fun vibe. And, um, you know, we regularly do these little online things for free. Like I did a little centering thing this morning every day, doing centering, just helping people start their day well. And... Yeah, you know what, John, I'm plugged out. So um, just put embodiment into the internet and stuff will come up. <laughs> okay. All right, well, thank you, Mark. I thought it was fantastic. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Ideas Lab podcast. Please do subscribe. And if you've enjoyed this episode, it would be great if you could leave us a review. You can get links and details of everything mentioned in the podcast in the show notes along with photos and video clips from many of our episodes. Just go to theideaslab.org forward slash podcast.